welcome to the Confident Feminine Body Podcast, a place of healing and transformation in your relationship with your body, food, and fitness. I'm your host, Elizabeth Marbury. I'm an intuitive healer and coach and founder of our Confident Feminine Body Program, where I help women build their self-worth from the inside out, free their voice, and love the sexy skin they're in without diets, deprivation, and self-sacrifice. Think of this podcast as your empowering and fun self-love guide, where you'll get real-time advice and tangible tools as we navigate this body and food freedom journey together. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Confident Feminine Body Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about mother load liberation. And this topic, I, I am so personally excited to dive into this. I was talking with Graham before we went live about how I have struggled with postpartum depression with both of my babies. And motherhood has been a very unexpected uh, journey. Not that I didn't want to be a mom. I always wanted to be a mom, but once I became a mom, it was nothing like I imagined it would be. And it's just been this whole new chapter and evolution of my life. And so I'm so excited to talk to Graham Seabrook today. So let me formally introduce her. So she is a writer and a maternal mental health advocate and community leader who helps moms learn to embrace their own humanity. Oh, how lovely is that? As a certified life coach and founder of the Mom Center, an online community exclusively for moms, she's coached over 3,000 moms on how to place their names at the top of their priority list without guilt or shame. And this includes interrogating motherhood through an anti-capitalist, feminist, anti-racist lens. Wow. So awesome. Graham, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Really? I'm excited about this. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be so fun. So will you tell our listeners a little bit about your story and how you landed here? Yeah. Um, I mean, like you, I had, uh, I had postpartum depression. I actually had a really traumatic birth with my first, then my oldest who's eight now and, um, ended up with undiagnosed PTSD and postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, which is super fun cocktail. And I recommend it to everyone. So great. That's a, that's a lie. For those of us who caught <laughs> my face, that was a lie. Uh, it was not fun. It was horrifying, but I had a ton of support, both from, um, both from Adam and from my family and from professionals and like just a community of moms around me and, uh, and got better. You know, I, I did all of the work. I went to all of the therapy. I took medication. I did all of the things and really like kind of clawed my way back. And I kept waiting for that moment when everything would make sense. Like I really thought, okay, I'm sick, right? That's why this is so hard. That's why this feels just horrible and it doesn't fit right. And I always have the feeling that something's wrong because I'm sick. And once I'm not sick anymore, there's going to be a moment and the clouds are going to part and the sun's going to come down and all the little angels are going to sing and it's going to be, you know, there's going to be like that Disney moment where the princess sings with the animal. This is what I was waiting for. It's eight years later. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that moment. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, where is that moment? I mean, like, obviously, it's easier now. It's easier to not be actively sick, although there's things that are always going to be harder for me. There's sensitivities I'm always, just always going to have, you know. Um, but it's obviously easier now than it was. And still. <laughs> um, and then I had my second. And um, I asked, this is so funny. I was actually at um, a conference and I was pregnant. And it was a conference for maternal mental health. And I was kind of sharing the news with a bunch of other moms. They're like, okay, we're doing this again. <laughs> this might be a horrible idea, but I'm doing it again. <laughs> and I asked them, the ones who were way farther along, you know, whose kids were like seven, eight, nine, ten. I was like, so um, when does this like start to work? Like when, when does this make sense? And they literally laughed, like laughed out loud, laughed. Like, no, honey, what are you talking about? <laughs> Um, and that always struck me as just wrong and unfair because what I was seeing from Adam's side was that he was like easing into this fathership role. And as I was getting better and we were getting on this like more even footing, he was really feeling good and grounded in being a dad and like life as a dad and moving forward. And he, and I'm like, hey, that's not fair. Yeah. Um, and I just started, started talking to a bunch of other moms. That's really where all of this work came from. Originally, it was just talking to other moms and hearing them reflect back to me the things that I was thinking myself, where they were talking about the guilt of not being able to do it all or have it all, and that their moms had never complained. And so why were they complaining? And it, it just all of these other things. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. It just never seemed right. And I started reading and talking to more people and this was like three or four years of like deep dive stuff before I was like wait a minute it's not us <laughs> I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out but we individually as moms are not broken motherhood is broken it's broken this is not like normal or right or healthy for anybody and I was like it's not this is patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy and none of this is us as individuals all of these issues that we're dealing with it's not us like it's it's these systems and how we fit into these systems and that was this huge revelation that was just like knocked me back and um the more that I read the more that I talk to people because I'm continually like learning through the whole thing the more convinced I am um, that, yeah, it, it is dehumanizing the way that we're doing motherhood now. It is literally dehumanizing. And every time I say that word, people are like, oh, but I love my children. I'm like, I didn't, it's not what I said. It's not what I said. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's where we are. That's like the short version of like, that's where we are and how we got here. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like as a mom having a four and a seven-year-old and it's been, there's been so many struggles personally within my own brain mm -hmm. and just hearing you reflect it. It's so refreshing to hear because I see myself so much in your story because 
I remember thinking the same thing and asking the same questions to moms that had older kids of, so when does this all come together? When, when does it get easier? And I'll tell you, actually, I, when I did have a newborn and I was suffering from postpartum depression and I was so sleep deprived. And when I asked a mom, when is it easier? And they're like, Oh, it never gets easier. It just changes or whatever. That was really hard to hear in that moment. And it actually kind of wasn't supportive to me in that moment because I like, that was so severe, that feeling. And so to have another mom just kind of be like, oh, well, it's just always hard. It just changes. That was really, really hard for me to swallow that in that moment. And it didn't feel supportive, but of course now having older kids, I can see where that mom was coming from, but I just think it further highlights. I feel like there's this this disconnect, even with us as moms of just feeling like we can't really be honest about our experiences because we always have to preface everything we say with, I'm so grateful that I'm a mom and I'm so thankful I have kids and I love my children to death and they're my world and they're my number one. But, and it's just like that, that bothers me. Dude, of course it bothers you. It's crap. Why? <laughs> Come on. It's yeah. crap. It's total crap. I'm sorry, but there's no other word for it. Okay, well, no. My, as my fiber would say, that's poopy. That's so poopy. <laughs> that's so poopy. <laughs> right? Because that's what it is. That's, it's not, duh, you love your kids. Yeah, like, yes, yes. Okay. I'm not saying that there aren't horrible parents in the world. There are horrible, abusive parents in the world. Yes. Okay. But the vast majority of parents are not horrible, abusive parents. So therefore, the vast majority of moms are not horrible, abusive moms. So I just assume that the I love my kids, that's implied. Like, duh. If you didn't love them, then you wouldn't actually be focused on this. You wouldn't care about it. You'd be off doing whatever else. And the kids would just be over there. Like if you didn't love them, it wouldn't be hurting this much. So let's focus on why it's hurting this much. I assume that you love them. Like me loving my kids did not make it any easier to not sleep. What what does love have to do? Are you kidding me? Like, (laughs) at, at what point did love change a diaper? At what point did love make me dinner or clean my house or like help me fight with this child over the fact that like, yes, You do have to do every single spelling word on the sheet. And it's not my fault that you have to do every single spell. Like love does not make any of that any easier. Yeah, I love it. It's still annoying. (laughs) Yes. And you know what I'm realizing as you're saying these things is I think why it bothers me is there's like a dismissive energy to it. Yes. It's like we don't have permission as moms in the society to complain or to say, this is really hard. And I think this is a good transition into the mother load. And I would love for you to talk about what is the mother load? Yeah. Well, I feel like we've all sort of, after this whole panini press, is what I will call it, um, because I'm tired of the word pandemic. uh, We've been talking about the mental load of motherhood a lot, right? Like you've seen that phrase many places. And 
I don't think it's enough. It has never struck me as enough. Um, cause it's a lot more than mental. Like I, I have a mental illness. I know what mental feels like. That ain't it. <laughs> um, so to me, it is the mental, physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual load of motherhood. Those are a lot of things. It is not just the being the CEO of your house and being the person who's always organized and the person who's always paying attention. It's not only that. It is that. It, that's a huge part of it. And that's a lot to bear. But it is also the fact that mothers, when you become a mother, you see your financial earnings for the future plummet. And when men become fathers, they see their financial earnings for the future just, I mean, it's just this pretty straight line going up. Um, it's the fact that moms, stay-at-home moms, feel horrible about spending any money at all, right? Because they're not contributing to the household financially, even while we know that a parent staying home saves a family about $160,000 a year. That's an average, obviously. So there's a lot more than that, right? Um, Cleaning your house is not mental. Sometimes it is for me, but it's also physical. It's physical labor, doing the dishes, rocking your child to sleep, carrying that child around the house in circles for hours when they have colic, <laughs> right? Those are physical things. Sitting in the hot sun at the soccer game, those are, that's physical labor. Driving 20 million places in a day. <laughs> right? Like, I feel the physical. I feel the physical. Here and being the person that's in charge of the emotional stability of your family, because women are just better at that, or moms just know those things, which is crap, not true at all. But being that person that's supposed to notice, like, oh, five year old's really moody today. Something's going on. There must have been a fight somewhere. The 12 year old's having, oh, when do we need to have the talk? When do we need, like, that's emotional labor. You have to somehow regulate your own emotions while you're teaching little people how to regulate their own emotions. And like, dude, sometimes I can't even do me some days. <laughs> how am I supposed to help them? I'm a mess. Um, yes. It's, so there's like so many different loads, right? It's not just the mental. I love that we're talking about the mental load. I adore it. Please, let's do it more. Can we also talk about everything that moms are doing and that dads are just not expected to do? Sometimes they do it, but it is not seen as their responsibility. Mm. That's, I think, the difference. Wow. Wow. I, yeah. Say that again. Whose responsibility is it for literally anything in your household? Like, stop and think. Where does the buck stop? You know? Um, yeah, that's been the big shift in our household specifically because we made it that way because I said, no, I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge anymore, dude. That's, this is not what I signed up for. I am not in charge. We are in charge together, but I am no longer, because he kept saying, how can I help? How can I help? Tell me what you need. How can I help? And I would just get more and more angry every time he tried. He was trying to be supportive and awesome. Like he was trying to be good, right? And I'm just like, 
just getting more and more angry my shoulders going up and finally it just exploded and I was like I don't want you to help me how is it my job and you're like an assistant that doesn't make any sense wow yeah yeah and I think so many of us get into these patterns Mm -hmm. without even like you said, like, I didn't sign up for this. This wasn't part of our agreement. And that's where I think the societal impact comes in. Cause even if, you know, we like my, my husband and I, we each do our own laundry. My husband loves to cook. He goes to the grocery store a lot. Like it's not typical gender roles, but yet still with the kids, there's so many times where it falls to the mom. Right. Or, and and it's interesting because it's like, how, how does that happen, right? Is, and is it that societal expectation? Is it the conditioning, uh, you know, our upbringing? Yes, all of those. We are, we are trained into this. We are born into this. And we are trained to be this way. Men are not bad at laundry. Men are not bad at cooking. Men are not bad at multitasking. Men are not bad at caring for others or being tender or paying attention to emotions. Men are not bad at any of those things. They're not. There's not some weird genetic deformity in them that makes them unable to load a dishwasher and answer an email at the same time. That's not, no, no. They are raised to have a certain set of depending on the person and the culture and all of those things they are raised to have a certain idea of what a dad does and what makes a man a man right and folks who are gendered as female are raised to have a certain idea of what a mom does and what makes a woman a woman what makes a good mom and what makes a good dad right those are pretty set roles and unless you ever see anything different you think about every commercial, movies, television shows, books, comic books, every piece of magazines, every piece of media that you're consuming from the time that you're born all the way through pregnancy and having your kid. It's in everything. It's in the air and the water. It's literally all around you. And so, yeah, you may, and I see this all the time with couples who are like, yeah, we always did our own laundry or we always just traded off nights making dinner. We always, and then the kids come and he's still just doing his own laundry and I'm doing my laundry and the kids laundry, or he's still making dinner every other night, but I'm up making lunches every day before school. Like, or he's, it's just assumed, right? Or it's this huge big deal that like he changes diapers as if he didn't make this child as well. Like what? Um, yeah, so when the, the big thing for me was just uh, saying I'm not responsible. This is not my job. It's not my job to keep them healthy. It is not my job to make them happy. It is not my job to teach them things. It is not my job to know when they're out of clothes and we need new ones. I am get all of these jobs. I am releasing them. This is not my job anymore, dude. And I could see like the panic. <laughs> <laughs> this is a lot all at once and he floundered so hard and he screwed up so many things and it would make me so frustrated like you've seen me doing this for years why don't you just know how to do it you've seen me were you not paying attention you know I got very normal <laughs> I feel like 
it's normal, right? Totally um, normal. And it was my therapist who said, well, how many times did you screw it up before you got it right? And I Ooh. didn't walk out, but I was like, <laughs> to just being like, shut up, walking out. Um, Cause she was right. And I don't like it when people are right. <laughs> oh, I love it. She was right. And she, she was the one who said, you've put in your 10,000 hours and you, he hasn't. And he's got to, um, there's that idea that you have to practice something 10,000 hours before you master it. Right. And she was like, you've put in your 10,000 hours. And at every stage, as your kids progress, you keep putting in that you're learning it as, you know, and he just isn't. So he's got to catch up. So you have to make space for his 10,000 hours. And I did not want to, I wanted him to magically do it the way I did it and be as good at it the way I did it as I was. I wanted him to be me, to just like carbon copy me and be me. Oh, I feel that so much. And I think that's where it's like the control comes up is you're like, okay, I'm, this is, I'm going to let go of this. It can, you know, that can be his responsibility, but then if it's not done the way you want it to be done, or it's not done on time, or it's something gets missed or something and then it's so easy to be like, okay, I got to, I got to pick up the slack, but then in doing so you're not allowing that person to figure it out themselves and actually take on that responsibility. And then it just builds more resentment. I hear moms say all the time, it's easier for me to just do it. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not actually easier for you to just do it. You're exhausted. You're breaking physically, mentally, emotionally, you're not sleeping, your stomach is cramping, you can't eat because you get nauseous, you have headaches from stress, you're not sleeping. How is this easier than him screwing up a lunch? How is this easier than they're not being clean clothes one day? How is this easier than, th- than those like little annoying? This is not easier than that. It's not. And I think part of it is because they're like, well, then I have to, fi-. no, you don't have to fix it. So here's the thing. If it's no longer your responsibility, then when he has a human moment and screws something up, it, that's also not your responsibility. When he forgets the lunches, either the kids get lunch at school or he has to make the lunch. He has to leave work. He has to take it. It's his responsibility. And I I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom. I don't care if you're working from home or if you're working outside. Like, I don't care about any of that. You You made a choice to be parents together. Now, if you're a single mom or a single dad, this is totally different, right? Because then you're talking about building a community around your kid and you are the sole parent. So yeah, it is, this is all your responsibility. And that's, it looks different. But um, if you're in like a hetero couple, especially, yeah, you have to be really explicit about the fact that this is not my responsibility anymore. This is shared responsibility. Um, Yeah, I just said to him, I was like, if all you're really contributing here is like paying the bills, you can pay the bills from other places. There is an apartment community right across the street. 
you can live there and pay the bills. Like I. So how old were your kids when you made, when you had that realization and you were like, I'm not taking a hundred percent responsibility for this. It needs to be 50, 50. Like how old were your kids when you made that realization? Our oldest was just about to turn five. Cause it was summer. It was springtime. And he turns five in, in June. So he just had his eighth birthday. So it was just about three years ago. And it was, it had been about a process of a year before that of us, like just going through all of this stuff, um, trying to set up different routines in the house and try, like we had tried all of these different things and it just wasn't clicking. It just wasn't working. It never felt right. And um, there was a sock that was on the stair. We have two stories in our house. There was a sock that was on the stairs. He had taken the laundry upstairs to fold it and put it away. And I guess the sock had fallen out of the hamper. Like this happens, right? And I didn't pick it up. I waited in my passive aggressive mommy way for someone to see the sock and take the sock and put it where it went. And, um, of course, I wasn't expecting a three or a five-year-old to do that, although that would have been awesome. Uh, but yeah, no, it was like four days later when I broke. I know everybody watching and listening can get this. I know this has happened to like everybody who's ever lived with another human being in their lives. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like four days later when I broke. And and he, he apologized and said that he should have picked it up because he knows things like that bother me. And he was like, I should do better, babe. I should, I know how much it bothers you and I should do better. And I, that's when I realized like he didn't get it. You don't pick it up because you love me or you're trying to take care, which is wonderful and that you love me. And oh my gosh, I love you too. Great. That's not why you pick up the sock. You pick up the sock because you know that's not where it goes. Because it's your responsibility to keep our house clean. And that's when I realized that he doesn't think of it as his responsibility to keep our house clean. He was cleaning the house for me because he cares about me and he was trying to support me, not because it's his responsibility to keep our house clean. Now, changing the oil in our cars, that's his responsibility. Like in his head, you know, that's where he was. Wow. Uh, mowing the lawn and like fixing when the air conditioner went out. He was the one sitting on YouTube for 10 million hours trying to fix the air conditioner until the AC dude could get here. To him, that's his responsibility to our family. Yeah. But sweeping the floor or picking up the sock was a thing he did for me. I feel like this is the elephant in the room in, in so many families. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's that feeling of you're kind of walking on eggshells because, yeah, you, you're kind of each in your your lanes. And but as the mom, just that feeling of resentment and exhaustion and burnout. And I don't I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to be the manager of my household. I don't want to. So I guess my question to you is when I when I am already starting to think about some things in my household that I want to shift like, where do you even begin? Because like in my example, I can think of, you know, I'm thinking of the things that my husband does that are great. And then I'm thinking of some of the things that are on my plate that 
it would be great if we could share that responsibility. And so did you guys like go through and make a list or, you know, this is where it gets a little overwhelming is there's like thousands of moving pieces. And I think that's probably why people are just like, it's easier for me to do it because, which I agree with you, it's not. And it, it is the cost is absolutely not easier. But where do you begin if you're feeling, if you're listening to this and you're like, yes, I want to do it, but where, how do I even begin to shift yeah. responsibility? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, there's two different ways and I think they're both completely valid and it's just whatever works for you as a person. Um, so it's inside out or outside in. And like I said, just pick one. I'd rather have you do something. (laughs) Um, so inside out is starting with you and changing the way that you think about yourself and about motherhood and about what's expected of you and your ideas about breaking down all of those ideas about, well, my mom did it or my aunt did it or my grandmother did it. And it was so much harder for that, like letting all of that stuff go so that when you do have these conversations, you're not coming to them from a place of resentment. You're coming to them from a place of wholeness where you can just be like, hey, dude, love you. Here's what I need. Just flat out. I'm a human being. I have needs. This is what they are. Not from a begging, pleading, manipulative, if I say it this way, he'll do it. Because no, but just from an honest, like, it is what it is. Outside in is, like you said, starting from the lists and starting from the tasks. And what you can do is just make sit down first and make a list of the things you're good at and the things he's good at. And I don't mean like laundry. I mean like organization. Um, I mean like seeing the big picture. Who's the logistics person in your house? But Adam actually has a master's degree in logistics. Why was I planning our family vacations? Please explain to me why? Because it was a mom thing and moms do, I was trying to do the mom, but like, dude, how does it make sense? How do we sign up for these things? And then, and then we're like, why am I doing this? You literally have not just, not just like a sort of, like a big degree. Like it was many years and he has, it's his job. And what was I doing? So I don't do that anymore. (laughs) Um, I honestly don't even make the lists in our house anymore because I, I can throw 10 million things at him and the way that his brain works is that he can organize it into like, no, babe, this needs to be three different lists and it needs to be done in this because he does logistics. So why was I doing this thing that I'm not good at? I have ADHD. I am horrible at that, but I was doing it because I thought it was a mom thing. So you can, the first thing that you can do is make a list of strengths and weaknesses and then make a list of things that need to get done in your house and then look at the two lists and this takes maybe 10 minutes it's not hard like this is not a long drawn out like you just sit down it takes like 10 minutes and and that's when it'll smack you in the face like why am I planning family vacations when you have a degree in logistics oh duh um this is why he does all of the appointments now eye doctors, pediatricians, dentists, he does all the appointments because he can look at a calendar and see, okay, we need to try and get the kids in for their shots on in the last week of July or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. 
I'm the one who calls the pediatrician and just takes whatever they have. <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, that's, it's, the thing is, whether you go inside out or outside in, they do not work without the other. Yeah. I started outside in because I was very focused on changing the mechanics in our household, right? But it wasn't until I had the responsibility revelation. It wasn't until I started reading more um, womanist and feminist mothers' writings. Um, it wasn't until I started like putting this into a, a kind of like a political and personal context that I stopped feeling guilty and that I stopped sabotaging the whole thing and that I was able to let go of control. So wow. I ha- it had to be both. And I think you can, you, but on the other end, you can get so stuck in all of that. Like, I'm going to do all this inner healing and then things are going to fix themselves. Like, no, boo-boo, they're not. <laughs> you can do all the inner healing work and then you're going to have to, at some point, sit down and have a conversation. Like, you still have to do the Totally. <laughs> oh, I love, I love that you're saying it has to be both. And that, that makes so much sense because yeah, if you, even if you are so great at making these lists and sitting down with your partner, I love how you say you're going to sabotage it because you're going to still have that guilt of the mom guilt. And well, this should, like, if I was a good mom, I would actually, I wouldn't have my husband do that. You know, like those voices. Yeah. And, and those voices are going to be actual physical people. It's going to be your sister or your mom or your sister-in-law or your mother-in-law or your father-in-law. Like it's going to be your coworker. It's going to be one of the other moms in the PTA or, or at like summer camp or what somebody is going to say to you, wow, he looks really tired. And I'm like, yep, he's got two kids. I've been looking tired for five years. Cool. Join the club. We got jackets. Like I but I didn't get to the, that level of like, he can be tired. He's okay. It's hard. He's going to be tired. He's not going to want to do this. A lot of times who would want to do more work? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> no, he's not excited about it. Um, he is excited about still being married and, <laughs> um, and he is excited about like, no, he really has started to understand that our children see gender roles differently and they see adulthood differently and they see parenting differently already. And it's been like three years. Um, wow. That's huge. This tattoo that says both and mm. both. And like, I am so serious about it that I literally got it inked into my skin. <laughs> um, wow. Is everything like there's so much in this world that we think of as either or, and it almost never is. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about the power of micro revolutions in our lives. And can you tell, tell me what is a micro revolution and why are they powerful? Um, That is what has happened in our household. Our daughter is five and she has decided she's not marrying a girl because if you marry a girl, you have to do the laundry. And I was like, okay, kid. I mean, no, that's not at all how it works. It's not at all, it has nothing to do with me. Okay. I just let it go. I tried to have a logical discussion, but did I say she's five? She's five. And logical discussions with five-year-olds are really just, why would you do that? Why would you? No. Um, Yeah, she, because Adam does the laundry and our son is now tall enough that he can reach the top 
of the top loader. And so Adam's teaching him how to do the laundry. So in her world, dudes do laundry. <laughs> that's like, that's her world. Um, our son was in the car with us the other day. He was on his way to therapy and there was a houseless person on the side of the road who had a sign up who was asking for money. And I didn't have any cash on me because I never carry cash anymore. Like, it's just nothing I do. Um, and he just didn't understand. He was like, why does he need money? Well, probably because he doesn't have a job. Like we went through the whole thing. He doesn't have a job and he doesn't have a place to stay. And do you remember when we took your clothes and brought them down to the shelter? Because as the kids grow out of stuff, that's what we do with clothes and, and toys. Um, and that turned into a whole thing with us making sure that we carry cash in the car now and actually making these little bags, um, you know, those little paper, brown paper lunch bags. So it has um, a pair of socks, it has a menstrual pad, it has uh, whatever snack we grabbed from Walmart um, and a little Ziploc bag that has money in it so that if it's raining or whatever, and it has a little bottle of water because we're in Colorado and it's always dry. So it's just like a little mini thing, but then the kids decorated them with little kid drawings and stuff. Um, and they're in the car. So that when we do see somebody, we can just, we can hand them a whole bag of like here, hopefully this helps for a little while, right? Um, that idea really came from a conversation we had about chores and his allowance. We had a conversation about how in our house, chores are our way of everybody in the family taking care of our home, our yard, our car, like, you know, when it's time to clean out the car, take, like chores are how we all take care of each other. Allowance is how mommy and daddy teach you about money. And so he came to me a couple of days later with that idea of like, do we all take care of each other or does everybody all take care of each other? And I was like, well, everybody should all take care of each other. And that's when he said, he was like, I keep remembering that man on the corner and I don't know how to take care of him. And I was like, you know what, buddy? Okay, cool. Let's talk about some ways we can take care of him. How could we take care of him? And we just sat down and like, there was literally like crayons and some computer paper and just like made a list of like, how can we take care of him? We can't afford to buy him a house, but we could donate to a homeless charity. Like, yes. And we talked about voting and we talked about, um, just having that, then we caught on to the idea of like, all right, mommy will carry more cash. Like I'll make sure that I go to the bank and I get a bunch of fives and like tens out. I have them available. Okay, well, what else could we do? And then he was like, we can get him a present. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know how much he could use a present. Like, you know, so we, I mean, we just kind of thought it through. So these small changes that you make in your household, like the fact that Adam is doing the laundry <laughs> spills into the fact that my daughter just does not believe that it's a woman's job or a female's job or that it's, you know, she just does not believe that boys can't do laundry or dudes can't. Like she just has this idea in her head that men are very caring and supportive and that they care for you mentally and emotionally and physically because that's what her dad does. Um, and my son yeah. is very tender and very caring and wants to do the same thing because that's what his dad does. He takes care of people. So we're going to take care of people. And we've made it obvious in our house that we take care of people, right? 
that's not like marching in the streets, which I honestly cannot do with my anxiety. Um, I can't go to protests. I would be a liability. I would have a full on panic attack and somebody would have to take care of me and it would not advance any cause that I'm trying to support, right? Well, then I gotta figure out something else I can do. What else can I do? Where do I have the most power? Obviously it's in my house with these two short people. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. That. Like that's where I have the most powers in my house with these two short people. And so every time I um, make a change or Adam and I make a change together, it is this tiny little mini revolution that happens. And then the kids go to school and neither of them are quiet. So, <laughs> so it spreads, right? And then their friends go home or a teacher hears something or this is how, like, it really does work. Mm-hmm. And every mom I work with, right? She's changing something in her house or their house. Um, and then their kids and then they right. And you see like, it just spider webs out and it can be really, really powerful. You don't have to do like these massive changes, you know, you can do really small changes. Um, wow. That yeah, is that's a micro revolution. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny revolution, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's that's so beautiful. And I, I can so relate to that of, you know, you hear all the time when a woman heals her herself, mm-hmm. like she's healing generations of pain, you know, or generations of suffering. But I think that what you're saying is that the shift that we can make in our homes and how we're operating and how model and how we live our lives, of course, that's going to cause a ripple effect, not only just within your home, which is so important, but out in the world. And as these little people grow up into adults, Mm -hmm. they're going to be the change makers and they're going to be, they're going to lead from love and compassion and, and taking action when they see, that someone is struggling and know that they have the power to do something about it. And just, I love your story about the conversation you had with your son about that. Like that is, that is really powerful. And I, I feel like in our house, one of the things that I love to do is just talk about emotions and being able to hold space for big emotions and, I think what I've seen in my kids is, well, it's, believe me, they argue a lot. It's not all rainbows and unicorns over here by any means, but there's these moments of deep compassion, you know, where my daughter might see my son just like really upset and she just pours into him and she's like, and she says, you know, she kind of is able to articulate how he's might be feeling or what he might need. And so I, and then I see her give him that compassion and that kindness. And I know that she's going to go out into the world and do that for someone else who's struggling. And so that's, that's beautiful. I've never heard of it as like a micro revolution. I love, I love that so much. Makes me happy. I love that. Like we can think about the things that are important to us and apply them to ourselves and to our homes first. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm doing some gender exploration right now, not because I felt like 
not for any other reason than that I had never done it before. And the only reason I had never done it before is that we have all these binaries in place that told me that I didn't have to. And I was like, all right, but if I want my kids to be super open to all of this, then I'm going to be super open to all of this and just think about it. And then talk about it out loud in front of them so that they know that I'm thinking about it. Right. And then we'll have these conversations together. And I don't know, I'm probably going to screw it up. I'm definitely going to screw it up. Um, and I'm just going to muddle through it. And they're going to see all of that. They're going to see me muddling through something and they're going to see me trying to figure out something. And they're going to see me probably land right back where I already was, but with a much richer understanding of myself. Right. And yeah, I think it's important for them to see us being human and not having the answers and trying to figure it out and asking people for help and like all of that stuff that we tell them to do. If we don't do it, we have to model it. They don't, I don't know, maybe your kids listen to you. My kids do not listen to a word that comes out of my mouth. But it's difficult. Yeah, (laughs) they don't. They don't care, but they do pay attention like with Hawkeyes to everything that I do and everything Adam yeah. does. Yeah. Yes. They're always, it's funny. They don't listen yet. They're always listening. Oh yeah. Right. Yes. Like they're off in the other room and I'm talking to my husband about something and then they chime in who, who right. did what? Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. And I'm like, sir, did you hear your name in that conversation? No. Were we talking to you or ask? No. All right then, man. Yeah. Yeah. They hear it all, all, but they don't follow our directions at all. Uh, But they will point out my hypocrisy. um, Graham, what do you do when you have that voice of the inner critic as a mom come up? Um, I do the same thing that, so I actually took one of Tara Moore's coaching classes like a million years ago. And there was a lot of stuff that she said that like has stuck with me to this day. But the one thing, the biggest thing, uh, is thanking your inner critic. Just saying, thank you. Thanks for letting me know that I got this. Thank you. I got this like that. It's been probably seven years to the point now where I don't even notice I'm doing it sometimes. Like it's so ingrained that um, something pops up that we're like, oh, he's gonna, I don't know. They're gonna make fun of him at school because his hair is really long or they're gonna do that. You know, there's those things. You screwed that up. You should not have said that to the teacher that way. You, you know, there's always something. Thank you. I got this. Wow. I love that. I love that too, because what we resist grows. And so it's almost like by saying, thank you, you're seeing it. And then I got this, you're letting it move to the back of the bus. So it's not driving your bus, but it's still on your bus. Cause it's a part of you. And you're just like, thank you. Yeah, because it's coming from a place of protection, right? It's not coming. You're not actually trying to be cruel to yourself. That would not help you biologically to survive or spread your seed. Like that does not make any sense. It's coming from a place of protection, but it's mean and I don't need to hear it. (laughs) But like you said, fighting against it never works. So I'm always like, yeah, thanks. Thanks for letting me know, but I got this because I do have to have some trust in myself. And even if I don't, it's okay. 
we are not raising perfections. We are raising people. Therefore, I do not have to be perfect. I can just be a person. Oh, thank you for that permission slip. I feel like I needed to hear that today. And I am a total recovering perfectionist. I know perfectionism does not serve me you know, at all, but I think what's interesting is that I've been able to embody that in my work. Like Mm -hmm. I will leap without seeing a net. It can be very imperfect. I will put it out there. Who cares? But in motherhood, that's where I realize that I have that. I still have that pressure on myself that is so unrealistic and it causes me so much suffering and it's just, I think it's very fascinating when you, when, when we can say, Oh, I've let go of it in this realm, but not over here. It's all about what is where your insecurities lie, right? It's where we try to overcompensate. It's where we're most insecure, where we're most unsure of ourselves is generally where the perfectionism comes up. Like you see this a lot in the mommy wars, right? Where you may not care um, whether somebody else cloth diapers or uses disposables, but then when it comes to breastfeeding versus bottle feeding, then like that activates all of the stuff in you. Well, it's because you're a lot more secure in your choices around diapering than you are in whatever has happened to you, because it might not even be a choice. It's whatever has happened to you around feeding or you may have no issue at all with like some small thing about sports but something over here about arts makes you like all crazy yeah it's it's wherever the pain is that's where the perfectionism sinks its teeth in and it's capitalism it's turning your kid into a product it's saying if you do x and y then you will get z that's not how life works man i wish it was that'd be awesome (laughs) That would be just, I would be able to breathe and relax, but that is not how life works. That is not how motherhood works. Motherhood is a series of life and death guesses. We are all guessing. It's just the stakes are like super, super high. Mm. And yeah, we just need to breathe our way through it and realize that we are all guessing and gather as many people around you as possible who also realize that we're all guessing, right? Um, And who will just laugh with you when you screw it up and give you a hug and hold your hand. That's, those are the people that we need around us. And if those can be moms, other moms, then that's like a bonus. But whether they're moms or not, just have those people around you that love you and love your kids and love your family. Mm. That's the important part. I love that. I love that so much. So Graham, if, if a mom is listening or a parent or a human is listening and they want to follow you, they want to work with you, where can they find you? Um, at my name, it's grahamseabrook.com and it's just Graham Seabrook everywhere, like on Instagram and Twitter. It's just my name. (laughs) It's just easier that way. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, they can find everything right there. I will say, because you had asked about motherhood liberation and like, how do you start making these changes? Um, I actually made a course. Like I made a course. We've been doing it for three years. 
mostly because I didn't want to do this work by myself. It's like, I want other mommies to do this with me. (laughs) Um, And just amazing things have been happening. So this is the fourth year of it. And we start in August, but um, the wait list is open now and the cart opens near the end of July. I do not remember the date because I do not remember dates. (laughs) Yeah. So if someone wants to to join that course, where would they go to your website? On the website. Yeah. Okay. Look, everything has to be in one place because ADHD. So everything has to be easily accessible in one place so that I don't lose it either. Um, Good. Then for everybody else, cause you won't lose it. So yeah, it's awesome. I love it. I'm personally going to definitely check out your course because it sounds incredible and we will be sure to link to your website in the show notes too. So people can easily find all of your resources. So Graham, thank you so much for giving us your time and your energy and your wisdom. And I already am planning another time to have you back because I have so many other questions that are coming up. I talking about moms is my favorite thing. Like I, my old business card said mom dork on them. I love it. (laughs) Graham, I am still totally geeking out that we both live in Colorado within driving distance of each other. So we are a hundred percent going to get together and I'm so excited. I mean, it's so close. We're so close. And we, you guys, we didn't, when we were recording this, we didn't even know that we were in the same state, much less within driving distance of each other. Very cool. This is very, very cool. We're doing it. Thank you, Graham. I appreciate it love to everybody. Thank you so much for being there. Go out there and just be so imperfectly you. We love you. Hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Graham. If you are interested in Graham's 10 week motherhood liberation course, definitely check it out. Enrollment closes on August 5th and she has been so kind to gift you our listener 10% off of her course using code CFBPOD. That's CFBPOD in all caps and that will save you 10% off any of the payment plans for her 10-week motherhood liberation course. And that course is going to be a game changer in helping you to stop asking for help and actually start sharing responsibility and reclaiming motherhood for yourself so you can have more pleasure and joy as you go into this next chapter of your parenting journey. So check out the show notes of this episode for a link to the motherhood liberation and use code CFBPOD to get 10% off. I am sending you all my love today and always my friends. Namaste. I'm Elizabeth Marbury and I want to thank you for listening and hanging out with me today. Join our free community of brave soul sisters who are crushing it on their journey to body love and food freedom by going to confidentfemininebodygroup.com. That's confidentfemininebodygroup.com. And be sure to download my free gift while you're there. I'd also love to hang out with you on social media. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Elizabeth Marbury. I am sending you so much love today and always. 
see you next time.